This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. In Singapore, cancer cases have risen over the years and they are expected to continue to rise. So come next year, Singapore will launch its major preventive health strategy, Healthier SG, which will include free cancer screening for three cancers, and that's colorectal, cervical and breast cancer. Is the screening enough? Should you pay to screen for other cancers? So to answer these questions, I've invited Dr. Wong Seng Wing, the medical director and consultant medical oncologist at the Cancer Centre under the Singapore Medical Group. He wrote a column on the things to watch out for when it comes to cancer screening. Hi, Dr. Wong. Good to have you back on Health Check. Hi, Joyce. Haven't met in person for so long. Yes, it's good to see you in person. So today we'll talk about cancer screening, right? In Singapore, population-based cancer screening is recommended for just breast, cervical and colorectal cancer. So can you start by telling us whether it's enough to just screen for these three cancers? If we can get a lot of acceptance you know, for these three, we would have achieved quite a lot for the population because breast cancer is the commonest cancer in, in Singaporean women and it is the number one killer cancer in women in Singapore. In fact, it's slightly ahead of lung cancer. And colorectal cancer is the commonest cancer in men, second in women. So if you put men and women together, colorectal cancer is the commonest cancer. So tackling this two makes perfect sense. Cervical cancer, the rates has come down substantially because of screening and because of vaccination with human papilloma virus. So I would argue that with time, perhaps uh, screening for cervical cancer uh, might gradually become uh, less of a relative importance. Right, that's interesting. But what about the other common cancers here in Singapore, like lung cancer, liver cancer? Yes. Um, currently, based on the Ministry of Health guidelines, uh, we do recommend that people go for lung cancer screening, but only the high-risk group. So we are selecting smokers, in fact, above the age of 50, 55, who have smoked for at least 30 years. We gauge their risk of lung cancer to be elevated, and they get a CT scan of the chest of the lungs every year. This is well backed by data from international clinical studies to show that you can actually reduce the risk of dying from lung cancer by doing so. We are selecting only the high-risk group because the clinical trials done internationally were based on this group. So if we extend it to everybody, we are not certain how big is the benefit. And because we can't use simpler methods to screen, for instance, we can't do a simple chest X-ray which is a lot cheaper, faster to do with lower radiation because all the clinical trials failed. In other words, by the time you see it on a normal chest X-ray, it's kind of a bit too late. Your cure rate is not all that high. So you need a CT scan. Costly, radiation exposure is higher. So for now, it's going to be the higher risk group. We do face a problem in Singapore. In the West, um, smoking is really the dominant cause, driver for the incidence of lung cancer. Not true in Singapore. 50% of Singaporeans who suffer from lung cancer are non-smokers. If you just zoom down to Singaporean women, more than 70% of Singaporean women with lung cancer are non-smokers. So if we just screen the high-risk smoking group like in Western societies, 
we will miss many of these um, potential cases in Singapore. So we might need to adopt a different approach. But we can't just do it without any data. So Singapore is running a national study, a clinical trial, to look at using the CT scan to screen non-smokers to see what is the pickup rate. Do we improve their survival? And once we have that data, we can prove it. I think the guidelines will change. How long will that take? It will take years because right, yeah, we have to prove a survivor benefit, You know, detect the cases, treat them, and follow up to see between those who are screened and those who are not screened is there a difference in lung cancer mortality. The other question that you pointed out, like liver cancer, we do, again, we select the high-risk patients. And one of the main drivers for liver cancer in Singapore is hepatitis B. It's endemic in Singapore. And hepatitis B can increase the risk of liver cancer by 100-fold compared with a non-carrier. So these are very high-risk patients whom we will usually recommend screening. Usually it's regular imaging of the liver, either with an ultrasound or CT scan or an MRI, possibly at six-monthly interval. Right. So you mentioned this trial that will take a few years, right? In between, I mean, what do you recommend that people do, especially those with a family history of the cancer? Well, it depends on type of cancer. Family history of lung cancer may not be a very strong motivating factor for us to push for screening because most of the time, genetic inheritance is not the reason behind lung cancer. It's usually some other carcinogenic factors. So why does it sometimes occur in families is probably more because they are exposed to the same carcinogenic factors. In other words, you grew up in a family with many smokers. You grew up in the same household, the same environment. Or maybe you grew up in a household where there are a lot of incense uh, lighting up and etc., which creates indoor pollution. In China, in fact, in the rural areas, they have proven that uh, housewives who cook a lot have a much higher incidence of lung cancer. Why? Because in those rural areas, they use firewood or they burn some organic fuel and the ventilation in those households are poor. So indoor pollution is a problem. That's unfortunate. But in Singapore, do we know among the cases, the women who are non-smokers who get lung cancer, what are the likely causes? Not so clear. I must say that it's a little bit of, of a black box. Recent data suggests that it's probably environmental pollution and there is what we call a sporadic mutation in these people. They develop a certain mutation in the cells in the lung and that sort of would make them more vulnerable to environmental pollution. So even without smoking, uh, a person develops lung cancer. What are the other types of cancer where, you know, the family history of cancer will play a big part in, you know, the decision to get screened or not? Mm. There are certain cancers which are fairly unique to our region. For example, nasopharyngeal cancer, that means cancer at the back of the nose. Very little research is done in Western society because it is not a common cancer in their societies. It's a common cancer in East Asia, southern part of China, Japan, or Taiwan, Hong Kong. And because uh, Singaporean Chinese, their ancestors are mostly from southern China, so this is the same genetic pool. So that's why nasopharyngeal cancer is a problem in Singapore and it can occur in families. So it has been shown that it is a family history. We don't 
necessarily know exactly which gene is driving it, uh, but they are more vulnerable to other precipitating factors. So multiple factors come together and the, a certain genetic inheritance probably make you more vulnerable. So if there's a patient with nasopharyngeal cancer, I typically warn the first-degree relatives that they might want to consider screening for it on a regular basis, even though there's no national program pushing for that, but I said that, you know, unique to your family. Mm-hmm. Well, how's the screening like? Oh, one way is to get an ENT, a ear, nose, throat specialist uh, to put in a scope because it's an office procedure. This is a very small and short scope that goes through the nose to look at the back of the nose and that's quite easy to do. One of the main driver for nasopharyngeal cancer is the virus called Epstein-Barr virus, EBV. And there's a fairly high carrier rate in Singapore. In other words, many of us have been previously infected by this virus, EB virus, and we carry it in our body. Um, Typically, before nasopharyngeal cancer emerges, we can actually detect this particular virus genes being replicated and the level rises in the blood. So it's actually possible to screen by checking for Epstein-Barr virus DNA in the blood. If you see a sudden spike, you know something bad is on the way. So when it comes to like family history, so we're actually talking about a family history of the actual that specific cancer, right? Sometimes it doesn't have to be the same because the same inherited gene can drive certain cancers that come together. For instance, you know, the famous BRCA gene, the Hollywood actress Angelina Jolie, she inherited it and she had to go for prophylactic preemptive mastectomy and subsequently had, had the ovaries removed as well. So that gene is associated with breast cancer, with ovary cancer, with male breast cancer, because breast cancer is very uncommon in male. If a man comes down with that, you have to start thinking that has he inherited this gene and prostate cancer. So imagine in the family, when you go through the family history, they said, oh, you know, member A has breast, member B has prostate, and member C has ovary. Uh huh. All these are all linked by the same gene. Then you have to start worrying. If they say, oh, Member A has liver, member B has lung. You know there's no genetic link between these two. You are less worried. Most cancers happen by chance. Well, we call it bad luck, for lack of a more scientific term. Cancer is very common with or without family history. Today in Singapore, approximately one in three Singaporeans will be diagnosed with cancer some point in his or her life. You know, I was just thinking when it comes to screening, right, you know, what would be the... Alarm bell. <laughs> I mean, you know, like if you have a family history, you might want to get screened, right, earlier. Yes. The, the whole idea, I feel, is to engage your doctor because it depends. Certain cancers, like for instance, most times lung cancer, if it's related to a family member being a heavy smoker, uh, if you yourself do not have that risk factor, then, I mean, you don't have to be too worried But if, let's say, you have a family member with uh, colorectal cancer, cancer of the large intestines, and you know that uh, at least your doctor will tell you that at least 5% of colorectal cancer cases are driven by inherited genes. So you know that there's a significant risk. And generally, most doctors will recommend people with first-degree relatives with a history of colorectal cancer to bring forward uh, the age at which they start screening. 
So we typically ask them to advance the screening date by five years. In other words, start at age 45. So when you talk about first-degree relative, you're talking about the parents, the siblings? Siblings, that's right. Right. And when it comes to colonoscopy, right? And that's the gold standard. But in Singapore, I mean, generally, the more economical test is a stool test, right? Uh, yes. How accurate is that? Oh, well, compared with the colonoscopy, it would be a lot less accurate because even if there's a tumour, it may not bleed. It may not bleed on the day that you collect the stool sample, so you may miss it. Or if you pick up traces of blood in the stool sample on testing, it may not be colon cancer. It could be gastric ulcer. It could be hemorrhoids. It could be an inner fissure. I mean, there could be so many other explanations. So in terms of accuracy, it definitely doesn't come close to a colonoscopy. But the advantage of this is that it's convenient to do. And it's very, very low cost. So we can do a first screen. Those with positive tests will then go on to have the scope done. And for um, the public who are thinking of doing the stool test for blood, you have to think of the next step. If the stool test is positive for blood, you need to go for a scope to find out what is the reason for this trace of blood appearing in your stool. Right? If you are going to ignore a positive test, then why do it at the first place? Because it's recommended. <laughs> <laughs> the recommendation is after the stool test, follow through to the next step if you need to. Do you know a lot of people who don't follow through? Yes, there are people who do that. Because uh, you don't benefit from early diagnosis if you're just going to ignore it. In fact, it just gives you sleepless nights. And I don't see how people can potentially benefit from doing a stool fecal or cow blood testing and if they're not prepared to take the next step to do an endoscopy. So think through the whole process carefully. And mind you, not every cancer screening test is worth doing. There are tests in the market which really, I feel, probably should not be done. You'll notice that certain very popular blood tests like cancer markers, what it checks for are certain antigens or proteins in the blood that might indicate the presence of cancer. But you will notice that the Ministry of Health in Singapore have never, ever recommended all these cancer marker blood tests to be used as a screening tool because it's not very accurate. And there's an issue of what we call false positive and false negative. Mm -hmm. False positive means that uh, you have an elevated cancer marker in your blood, but you actually don't have cancer. A false negative is that uh, everything looks normal, but actually the cancer is growing in your body and it's not showing. For a false positive, you could end up with a lot of other unnecessary investigations, many scans, a biopsy of shadows that they see in the scan to look for a non-existent cancer and giving yourself you know, sleepless nights. And false reassurance is also harmful. I can't remember how many patients I've seen with breast cancer and the lump is fairly big by the time they show up and ask them, well, did you not go for your screening mammogram regularly? They said, oh, I went for a blood test, cancer marker. And since it was normal, I skipped the mammogram. So false reassurance can lead to bad decision making. Although checking the blood, I mean, obviously drawing a blood sample is a lot easier than doing some complicated investigation may hold the way for accurate cancer screening in future. We might be able to screen for uh, early-stage cancer using a blood test looking for cancer, uh, cancer DNA. 
cancer genes or cancer RNA, microRNA. But at this point of time, the technology is still not mature. So my advice is uh, maybe don't jump on the bandwagon at this point. And you might end up exposing information that you don't want to expose in genetic testing because sometimes in gene sequencing, multiple genes are sequenced simultaneously. So perhaps you're looking for a particular gene that may be associated with cancer. But incidentally, they found in you a gene associated with schizophrenia or dementia. What are you going to do? What is the implication for your employment, for your insurability in future, etc.? So you might actually pick up information that you're not ready to know or you don't know how to handle. That sounds scary. Precisely. Yeah, but those, the DNA ones that you were talking about for the cancer, those are blood tests, right? They are blood tests. Not using saliva or anything like that. Oh, it's possible to use other body fluids. So tests are being done to, you know, to check saliva, to check urine, in fact, and blood. But blood seems to be more promising than, than saliva or urine, although I wouldn't say that it's impossible. Mm, okay, because right now in the market, you can easily get those... DNA test using saliva. Mm, you can actually right. buy the kits online. Uh, that's right. Or they, they give you a spatula. You just scrape the inside of your cheek, the inside of the cheek cells, so that yeah. you, you test it. Buyers beware, you know, because it has not entered the mainstream thinking in a medical community. So um, don't be too creative when it comes to such things. <laughs> Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now back to my conversation with Dr. Wong Sing Wing, the Medical Director and Consultant Medical Oncologist at the Cancer Centre under the Singapore Medical Group. So, I mean, like, back to this question, because, you know, for the health screening packages that we talk about available in the market, I mean, some people at some point when you're at a certain age and you have some money to spare, you might think that that might help you. So, oh, yes. would you recommend it at all for certain groups of people, maybe above a certain age? Um, different age group will have different needs because the median age of onset of different diseases is different. But what I want to really emphasize is that I really much prefer that uh, the person who is keen on cancer screening especially or screening for other diseases to first speak to a doctor that you can trust. Because with the healthy SG, you're supposed to have your personal physician who knows you very well, whom you have uh, confidence in and rapport with. That relationship is something that you can tap into. They'll speak to the doctor first rather than to just look at brochures or buffet or a la carte and then you pick something and go for the, the test. So I, I think engage your doctor and be guided through the process. Uh, it will be a lot more fruitful. There will be no bias to regret after doing the test and then you, you go on to you know, push to do other tests and eventually it's all false alarm. You, you really want to avoid that. Right. So instead of getting peace of mind, you bring yourself more trouble. <laughs> yes, but to shut all recommendation for health screening and cancer screening out is also wrong. See, that will be really throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Cancer screening and other form of health screening will form an important plank on, on this platform, Healthy SG, because think about it. Cancer is not 
a death sentence necessarily. If it's diagnosed early, it's potentially curable. So for the patient, it's a matter of uh, longer longevity. You, know, being, you might be able to save yourself from early demise if you are able to diagnose the cancer early. Do we know in Singapore like what proportion of cancer cases are picked up by screening? It varies from the cancer type. So breast cancer through mammogram, colon cancer through either fecal occult blood testing or colonoscopy, and cervical cancer through pap smear or checking for the human papillomavirus uh, through the smear. So for cervical cancer, because most of the diagnoses are made before the cancer is fully formed through the pap smear in the precancerous stages, so many of these patients are thankfully treated before the cancer even develops. So pap smear is uh, in theory not really trying to diagnose cervical cancer but trying to preempt the full formation of cervical cancer. So very few full-blown cervical cancer are picked up that way. Uh, for breast cancer, I do see quite a number of patients who have no symptoms, went to consult a doctor because the screening mammogram is abnormal and eventually was you know, diagnosed with breast cancer, quite a number. So anecdotally, even though uh, I haven't collected any data. I haven't seen anyone publish uh, a large database on this. Anecdotally, quite a number of patients are diagnosed this way. Colon cancer, on the other hand, very few of these patients who come to me will pick up by screening who are completely asymptomatic. The majority were symptomatic. I mean, either they have blood in the stools, severe constipation, unexplained diarrhea, abdominal discomfort, or some other problem. So in other words, uh, I mean, the moment you have symptoms, it's not called screening anymore. You are basically going for a check to evaluate symptoms or signs. That is not considered screening. That right. is diagnosis. I perhaps will infer that colonoscopy as a screening tool has gained lower level of acceptance in our population. But the good thing about the colonoscopy is that it doesn't have to be done every one or two years, unlike the mammogram. If you have a clean colonoscopy, I would say um, you can skip it for minimum five years. But try to get it, another one repeated before the 10th year. Mm. So when it comes to colorectal cancer, mm. you were saying that most people come in when they have symptoms. Mm. Are they at the early stage then or later stage? Most cancers can be broadly divided into four stages. The first two stages are considered relatively early. The third stage is of intermediate, still curable but high risk of relapse. And the fourth stage is essentially metastatic gas spread and it's incurable. So either in colorectal cancer, 50% of patients eventually end up with advanced disease, incurable disease, half. Uh, it may not be at presentation. It could be an intermediate stage that subsequently relapse. Because the later it is diagnosed, the higher the probability of it relapsing. We are trying to get people to go for regular scope, you know, if there's colon cancer, detect it at the first stage or the second stage, the cure rate will be much higher. Or even better than that, to detect it at the precancerous stage. Why screening for colorectal cancer is so effective is because from a totally normal inner lining of the large intestine, it first has to develop a benign growth called polyp, small polyp. Then it has to grow bigger and transform and change. And it takes years for that to happen. So if it is, this process is caught prior to it coming to maturity, developing a cancer, it can be removed 
and the cure rate will be extremely high if it's detected at that point. And it's also because it takes a while for this polyp to, to develop, to grow, to transform, that the colonoscopy typically does, uh, does not have to be repeated at such close interval. When we talk about the colonoscopy, we're talking about people above the age of 50? If you do not have a family history of colorectal cancer, you are sort of general population risk, then you start at age 50. But people who are high-risk family history with proven genetically inherited uh, form of colon cancer, they will have a totally different set of recommendation. But for the general population, used to be age 50. But the United States has lowered its screening age to age 45. Uh, Singapore at this point of time has not adjusted it yet. There is a worldwide trend of uh, younger patients being diagnosed with colorectal cancer, and hence they are starting the screening process earlier. Mm -hmm. We talk about the cancer screening. You know, people should go for the three recommended cancer screening in Singapore, right? And for the rest, we should, people should talk to their doctors Mm. about whether they should, right? Yes. Even for these three, have a chit-chat with your doctor. Because, for instance, um, mammogram, it will be slightly different for different age groups. It's sometimes a little bit counterintuitive. The recommendation is that between 40 to 50, go go yearly. After 50, go two yearly. Uh, it's a bit unusual, isn't it? I thought the risk goes up and, uh, as, as you age. Uh, but one of the possible uh, way of viewing this is that breast cancer in younger women tends to be more aggressive. So if, if you develop a breast cancer between the age of 40 and 50, it might progress very quickly. So screening at closer interval might be necessary. But after the age of 15, the furthest you should space it is probably two years. So do speak to the doctor and don't be tempted to substitute it with something else. I have patients who said that, uh, well, I would rather go for an ultrasound of the breast because it's less uncomfortable compared with a mammogram and there's no radiation. Uh, But the ultrasound cannot see some early changes that signal the presence of cancer, like abnormal calcium deposit called microcalcification. So you do need to speak to the doctor to make sure that you get the exact right imaging at the right interval. I say, correct cancer, yes, go for the screening. If you are checking the stool test, speak to the doctor, make sure you understand the whole process. If it's positive in the stool test, you have to go for a scope. If you decline to do the scope, then the first step of doing the stool test was a completely wasted effort. Then even for the cervical cancer, pap smear, how frequently to do it? First of all, women who never had any sexual contact are at very low risk of cervical cancer, so probably we don't have to screen this group. And for women who ever had uh, sexual contact, we should probably screen them starting from the age 25 because they get, the early changes can occur quite early. The old test that we used to do is just the pap smear. In other words, they scrape the, the cervix the, for loose cells and put it under a microscope to see if they're abnormal cells. But nowadays, it's also possible to collect a specimen from the cervix and actually test for the human papilloma virus. So if there's no high-risk human papilloma virus detected, then it may not be necessary to repeat it at the interval of the old pap smear. The old pap smear used to be every two to three years. 
But if you don't even detect the HPV virus, you're probably safe for the next five. Okay, so Dr. Wong, what's your advice for people who are worried about getting cancer and whether they should get screened? Say maybe they they don't have a first degree relative with cancer, but they might have like a distant cousin with cancer Mm. or like an uncle with cancer. I mean, should they go and get screened? If you cast your net so wide, you are bound to find many relatives of cancer. So to use that as a guide as to whether you should go for screening may not be very helpful. We should be on the lookout. Uh, but do speak to uh, a doctor whom you have rapport with before you go for the screening. There are some of these tests out there which are not worth doing. They are potentially misleading. So do look out for all these pitfalls. But as I said, at the same time, don't swing to the other extreme uh, of the pendulum and uh, as basically reject all screening tests. No, you should not. To go for the basic screening and be prepared for uh, the next step. What is basic for person A may not be the same as person B. You can't save that conversation with your doctor. You have to talk to him or her. Right, before you go for screening. That's right. Right, so thank you for your time, Dr. Wong. Thank you for the tips. You're most welcome. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in the podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.